Welcome, Pewter Report readers, viewers, and listeners to a brand new edition of the Pewter Report podcast, Energized by Celsius. It is a Thursday night edition of the show. We have a whole lot to get into because it was reported earlier this morning. The Bucks finally did it after Pewter Report had reported it earlier in the week. The Bucks fired their offensive coordinator, Byron Leftwich, and then also let go a number of assistant coaches, mostly on the offensive side of the ball with a couple of coaches retiring as well. We will get into all of that and some of the inside, behind-the-scenes information uh, that went into this decision-making by Todd Bowles, Jason Light, and the Bucks organization. I'm your host, Matt Matera. Joining me for a little bit of today's show, battling through an illness right now, we appreciate him joining us, is Scott Reynolds of PeterReport.com. Scott? Not really surprising news, but today was the day that the Bucs announced that Byron Leftwich is no longer the offensive coordinator of the Buccaneers. Yeah, good evening, Matt and Buck fans. Um, bear with me. I'm, I'm dealing with a, a pretty serious cold that I've been fighting this week, but um, we're going to power through it and, and give you guys some, some inside scoop and some analysis on, on what transpired and what we expected to happen uh, this week. Um, you know, we, we published the report Monday night that, that Byron left, which was going to be fired. And I did that with, I don't even want to say 100% certainty, probably about 1000% certainty. This has been a long time coming. And I understand Todd Bowles answered the question when asked on Tuesday during his season ending press conference, after I reported, after we reported at Pewter Report that the Byron left, which was going to get fired Monday night. Um, or I, I, let me rephrase that, that he was expected to be fired because I didn't say he was he was fired that night. He was not, but he was expected to be fired. And, and that was the expectation. It was not a prediction. It was not uh, a likely to be fired. It was he, the Bucks ex, are expected to fire him, meaning that's going to happen. It's a certainty. And and that's that's what, ha- what happened. It took some time and Todd was 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 candid when he said, that the no decision had been made yet. And I think what Todd was saying is, is that he hadn't decided when he was going to fire those coaches, but th- that, that certainly is something that, that, that transpired. Um, and he was also very sincere when he said, we're doing player evaluations now. Uh, what better person to do a player evaluation than the position coach, whether it be, Kevin Garber, the wide receivers coach, Clyde Christensen, the quarterbacks coach, coaches that were ultimately going to be let go, but that was their job was to write those reports and because they knew the players the best. And that's helpful for any incoming staff coming in or for the the team scouts and personnel departments. That's why it took until today, Thursday, for these decisions to be made. So Bowles was being completely truthful when he was saying that – you know, he had not made the decision to fire them, but I'm telling you right now, it, it had been made. It, it's been coming for some time. That's why we, we reported it. And we also came out with a report on Tuesday saying it wasn't going to be just left, which it was going to be several other assistants that also transpired. Um, here's a couple things to consider. And I'm going to go kind of like on a little bit of a of a informational diatribe here. And, and I'm going to be it. dipping out in about 15 minutes and I'm going to let 
Adam and and Matt react and fill in some blanks. Adam and, is on the show, by the way. Just want to say hello to Adam. Great to see you, Sly. <laughs> Thank um, you. And uh, and, and I, I'm going to get to some of your questions before I leave too. And some of these super chats coming. I really, really appreciate the the support. I, I do want to give give credit though. Um, and and I, I I'm going to point this out here. This is what Common Sense has said, and I've seen this too all over Twitter. Majority of the of the media, and this is mostly national media, defending Correct. Byron laugh my ass off. Uh, ain't none of them watched the Bucks game and can say play calling wasn't a big issue. Shannon Sharp blame, blaming Brady of all people for his firing, and I've seen other people in the national scene do that as well. Um, you know, I'm not going to name names, but you've seen on, on Twitter, um, and it, they're entitled to their opinion. I can tell you right now, they're, they're not closely watching this football team. They're just not. Um, and and it, if you're a national pundit, your job is to watch all 32 teams. I, I don't know anything about the Denver Broncos or the Kansas City Chiefs or the Miami Dolphins or the Buffalo Bills. I don't even know that much about the Panthers and the Falcons and the Saints until the Bucks are getting ready to play them. I and we at Pewter Report have tunnel vision on, on your Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and that's what makes us really good at, at what we do because we're locked into this team. So having said that, I'm going to give Dan Orlovsky, former Buccaneer backup yes. quarterback, by the way, <laughs> Some props today, and I even retweeted it, and I said, spot on, Dan. And I'm going to read to you what he said and what he was asked about this on ESPN. And this is what Dan said. This is one of the least creative offenses in the NFL. I remember even in 2020 when they won the Super Bowl, I said they are so dependent on high-level execution, and that is a fact. And, and, and I'm, I'm injecting that here. This is my opinion on Dan's statement. That's a fact. Dan picks up. They do very little to help their players. Again, that's a fact. Now they adjusted into the season and into that playoff run, and they were super talented. And I'll stop right there. Uh, Dan's right. They did make some adjustments. What did, adjustments did they make primarily in the playoffs? They ran the ball way better than they did during the 2020 regular season. They were averaging about 124, 126 yards per game in the postseason, including the Super Bowl. And during the regular season, I think they averaged 95, 96 yards. So you think, ah, 30 yards, does that make a big difference? That's three more first downs, right? It, that, that's, that's a drive stalling at the 50, right, outside of field goal range, and you got a punt. So this is all cumulative throughout the game. Uh, and it's the difference between a drive ending at the 20 and, and you're in field goal range, and, and it's now points on the board. So those 30 rushing yards make a difference per game. The Buccaneers this year – uh, were even worse than the 2020 team rushing the ball in the regular season. They were dead last, averaging 75.6 yards per game. That's 20 yards less than the Super Bowl season when they didn't even run the ball consistently well that year. I'll pick up where Dan leaves off. And they were super talented, and that's a fact. That's something we at Pewter Report have been, have been saying since I called Byron Leftwich, since I exposed him. And, and basically, I, I said he was a fraud, and that's probably – I'm not insulting his his character or or him as a person, but his the hype around him that he's this great offensive play caller and this great coordinator that's a fraudulent statement. And he was I, exposed I, is probably the best way he, to say he it. was exposed. Yes, because this team was talented, and I've even written that we at Pewter Report have said that, and and when I started getting feedback from people in the building saying you're right. You're exactly right. We out-talented teams. It was not the play calling. We out-talented them. And it was Tom Brady, 
behind a great offensive line with three Pro Bowl offensive linemen and a really good Donovan Smith that year, and then Alex Kappa, who got paid heavily in free agency in, in the Super Bowl years, along with future Hall of Fame wide receiver, Mike Evans, future Hall of Fame tight end, and, and Rob Gronkowski, a 1,000-yard wide receiver who ended up being a $20 million receiver in Chris Godwin, and a guy with Hall of Fame credentials but is a jackass in Antonio Brown, you can't defend four players with any defense in the NFL of that caliber. You can't. You can take two of them away. You, If you have a stellar defense, maybe three, Brady's going to find the other guy. Maybe it's Gronk down the middle. Maybe it's AB one-on-one. Maybe you know, you're know you you're trying to play honest and you're going to get Mike'd and Chris and, and Gronk'd and AB to death. But in, the, in 2020 and 2021, when they had that talent, that's how they won the games with the talent because the plays have pretty much been the same. And I'll pick up where Dan, where I left off with Dan. He said, that's why they got it done. But this offense is so behind in so many different ways when it comes to new age football. It's in many ways archaic. And I'll stop right there. That is exactly right. This Bruce Arians offense, when it's, when it's got loads of Pro Bowl talent and it's got high-level execution, is 30 points per game. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have high-level execution, you don't have high-level talent across the board like they did in 2020-2021, it is archaic. And, and, and I'm not sliding Bruce Arians. Everything has its time in the NFL, right? The, the Monty Kiffin Tampa 2 defense had its run, okay? The run-and-shoot offense of Mouse Davis back with the Lions and Barry Sanders and all that, it, it had its run, okay? Um, John Gruden, uh, before that, Bill Walsh, West Coast offense had its run. Football is constantly evolving. It has to. And, and I'll get to, to, to that statement about the archaic offense in one second. I'll come around to that. But th- this is where Dan finishes up, and he's right. It's very little motion. They don't do anything that they're good at. I feel like they major in things that they're bad at. And then he goes on to say how disconnected the run game is from the pass game. It's almost like the coaches don't even talk in their building. Okay. That's spot on. There has been a high level of dysfunction. I can report this now inside the building, especially between the coaches. All right. And I'm going to give you a couple of prime examples. And I'm writing about this in more detail in tomorrow's SRS Fab Five. Stay tuned. Computerreport.com. Let's go to the Kansas City game, right? Can, uh, Tampa Bay starts off 19-3, beats the Cowboys. 20-10 to, to beats the Saints. They're 2-0 under Todd Bowles. Uh, Mike Evans gets suspended. Okay, the scoring wasn't there. They lost 14-12. Gosh, if Mike had played, they win that game. Okay, whatever. Now you're in week four. You're you're displaced by the hurricane, right? The points have, have kind of been, you know, hard to come by, few and far between. But – the Bucs score 31 points against Kansas City. It looks like things may be getting better, right? Well, in that game, remember, Tom Brady threw 52 passes, and they ran the ball, the Bucs ran the ball, six times for three yards. It's the worst rushing performance in the history of the NFL. Okay? History. And all along, Todd Bowles has been saying that – we need to run the ball this year. We need to run the ball this year. We need to run the ball this year. Why? Because Todd Bowles knew without Rob Gronkowski, without AB, with only Mike, and with only Chris Godwin, really, and not just Chris Godwin, a Chris Godwin coming back from an injury. Todd Bowles, who is a defensive-minded coach, knew, hmm, 
how am I going to beat this offense? Well, um, I'm going to double Mike and I'm going to you know, try to bracket Chris and, and I'm going to make, I'm going to make Tom beat you with a hobbling Julio Jones and Russell Gage in the passing game. And I'm going to try to take away the, the running game because if, if I, if I stymie the running game in the first quarter, Byron's going to go away from it. That's been his MO. Right. And, and, and that's exactly what happened. They didn't stick to the run. They didn't commit to the run and you get lopsided uh, production. And, and when Todd Bowl says we need to be balanced, that doesn't mean 30 rushes and 30 passes. It doesn't even mean 200 yards passing, 200 yards rushing. It doesn't mean that. What it means is you need to have some form of balance. It can't be 350 yards passing and 50 yards rushing, right? 100 yards rushing and 300 yards passing is good. And Brady even broke it down. Remember that press conference? He even talked about, hey, this is how you get to 400 yards, right? And mm -hmm. if we can get 150 yards rushing, I only have to throw for 250 yards, right? That That's that's Brady telling us we need to run the ball. We need to run the ball better. That's why he likes Todd Bowles, because Brady does not want to lead the league in pass attempts and pass completions at age 44 or age 45, which he did, okay? So let's go to the, the Pittsburgh game, which was next, right? And, and you think, okay, 31 points, all right, well, maybe this offense is coming to life a little bit. Uh, Todd Bowles blew his top. I'm Byron Lefwich. Run the ball. Run it. He even put a number on it. And I'm not going to tell you what number that was. But the Bucks didn't hit it very often. So what did Byron Lefwich do? Well, I'm going to run the ball first on first downs early on in the game. And I'm going to check the box. Ran the ball. Ran the ball. Right? So the first down runs, were those the right play calls? Or was that, was that just to appease the head coach who said run the ball? All right, Todd, here's your run out of the way. Here's another run. Check in the box. I don't know Byron's motivation, but I do know there was a directive in place that he needed to run the ball more. So let's see what happened. In Kansas City, I'm sorry, in the Pittsburgh game, which was the next week, the 20-18 to 18 loss to Correct. the Steelers. You guys remember that game? Steelers had everybody out except for Cam Hayward, right? I mean, Mike, Minka Fitzpatrick was out. Uh, you know, TJ Watt they had was out. third and fourth string players in the secondary covering Ab Mike Evans and Chris Cotto and everyone else in between. Absolutely. Right. Mike Evans, that game had only four targets and he had four catches for 42 yards. Remember that? Just, yes. Just four targets. I remember the following week, they force fed him the football against Carolina. You are exactly right, Matt. You're exactly right. Uh, so he had uh, four carries, I'm sorry, four targets, 42 yards in a 2018 loss. Well, how in the world did the Steelers end up beating um, the the one-win Steelers end up beating the Buccaneers with Kenny Pickett as a rookie quarterback early in the season. Then he got knocked out of the game, remember? Then Mitch Trubisky came in. Well, the reason is very simple. Because this Bruce Arians offense is archaic. It's pretty much the same playbook that that they had been running in Pittsburgh when Bruce Arians was the offensive coordinator there. Mike Tomlin's no dummy. He knows what plays were coming. Okay, that's why you could beat the Buccaneers and hold them to 18 points in that game because they knew what was coming. So it was, it, what there, there was no creativity. There's no scheme, uh, you know, changes or overhauls or even like tweaks. I mean, Todd Bowles just wanted some tweaks, something different. The other thing is this, well, I'll, I'll make this point in a second. Then the next week is Carolina, right? That's where I called for, for Byron Leftwich to be fired. And honestly, I thought it was going to happen. 
Um, I, I wanted it. This was my opinion. But what I was hearing at the time, it sounded like my prediction was going to come true at midseason. In that game, remember, we talked about the balanced offense in that game. And keep in mind, the Buccaneers were only down 7-0 at halftime. Correct. And, you know, it wasn't really till the fourth quarter that Carolina finally pulled away. But you could kind of see once that drop touchdown from Mike Evans happened that the offense was kind of dejected. Well, in that game, they ended up throwing the ball 49 times, and they ran the ball 16 times for 46 yards. So, again, 49 passes, 16 runs, only averaged 2.9 yards. And you're right, Matt. They did force feed Mike Evans the ball. Finished with nine catches, 96 yards. All right. Then the Ravens game on Thursday night happens. And again, 44 passes uh, by Brady, 15 carries for 44 yards and a 2.9 yard average. I'll remind you, the Bucs were leading at halftime 10 to 7 in that game. Or was it 10 to 3? I think it was 10 to 3. Yeah, it was 10 to 3. Yeah. So they had the lead, yet they only ran the ball 15 times that entire game. And, and again, <clears throat> The head coach is giving a directive. The offensive coordinator is not falling through. And the back-to-back -back wins against the Rams and the Seahawks kind of saved Byron. Mm -hmm. And if you remember, the Rams game, they had to come from behind to beat them 16-13. to 13. Okay? And the what saved Byron's job was, was Tom Brady, the two-minute offense, because – Tom Brady does not call the plays. He that he does not want that job. He is not Peyton Manning. He wants to execute the plays, and he has to work within the playbook. Uh, so he he's going to try to make the play work as best he can. But in the two minute situation, and you've seen this, it probably even happened in that game. You'll see where where he he'll look at you know if the TV has a close up, you know he'll look at his his play sheet and then he'll wave it off and he'll call his own play. Well, that's the only time Tom would take over in two-minute situations, and that's why this offense slick, to be honest. Okay, so here's my finishing points on this. Uh, Bruce Arians was literally Byron's only ally left at the end of the day. M maybe Clyde Christensen, maybe Clyde, but uh, Byron did not have the confidence of anyone really on the staff left. Um, there, there was a lot of problems behind the scenes. And you shouldn't have to tell the offensive coordinator to run the ball in the Kansas City or after the Kansas City game, right? The six carries. You shouldn't have to say, hey, we need to run the ball. Mm -hmm. But that directive was given. It was disobeyed. You shouldn't have to tell the offensive coordinator to get your star wide receiver the ball more than four times, okay? You shouldn't have to – a media member – like myself, shouldn't have to tell Byron, hey, you've really struggled, right, with, with third and short situations. Um, none of these these third and short runs are, are working because you're getting it in heavy jumbo type personnel, um, you know, packages, and, and, and Fournette is, is getting stuffed at the line, right, with 13 mm -hmm. personnel or jumbo. Maybe spread the ball out, Byron, and, and maybe, you know, go three wide receivers. What happened? What happened that week? They did that against the Rams and I'm not taking any credit for that. Okay. But the thing is, is, is when all this is happening, like, you know, I, I'm getting some feedback from the building. Like, like you're right. You're right. Um, <clears throat> you shouldn't have to 
win games going two minute no huddle with Tom running the show if you're the offensive coordinator. <clears throat> it's clear that, that Byron didn't understand that you don't have to run the ball successfully to use play action. And when, when he made statements like that in press conferences with media members that know that that's not the case, does play action work better when you have a successful ground game? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. But do you need to do it? No, because of the keys of the linebacker position. They've got to follow their keys and take steps up into the hole because they have gap assignment responsibilities, right? They're going to naturally do that. Now, the beauty is if you do have a really good running game, they might take an extra step or two towards the line because they're really expecting the run, right? Exactly. But Byron apparently is one of the lone believers that you – have to run the ball successfully to use play action. And that's not the case. It's clear that Byron didn't understand analytics and the proper place in the game of analytics because he would laugh off meaningful data and statistics when presented to him in press conferences by the media. He would laugh that off as fantasy football stuff. At no point in time was Byron Leftwich ever ever considered a head coaching candidate in Tampa Bay. If Bruce Arians said, uh, Joel Lazier, Brian Lazier, Darcy Lazier, Jason Light, uh, I, I want to, to have Byron Leftwich as my heir apparent, as my successor, the answer would have been a resounding no. At no point in time, even back in 2019, when Bruce assembled the staff and he says, hey, you know, I'm coming off some health issues. That's why I retired. And we've got a plan in place. We've got really good coaches here. And, you know, we have a succession plan. That succession plan was always Todd Bowles since 2019. That's that's a lot of deep stuff right there, yeah. Scott. Appreciate all the insight. You were just yeah. like an attorney at court being like, Exhibit A, Dan Orlovsky's <laughs> statement. This is what went wrong here. Exhibit B, <laughs> here's where there were issues right then and there. And just, to, just to add to your point, because – you went on this soliloquy, which I feel lucky enough just to, just to have a front row seat to it. Yeah, um, it goes back to an old saying. Yeah, sorry, Adam, we put you on the show, and then Scott just went off with a with a great statement. I'm all so, ears for it. It's yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, Scott, it goes back to what you. I don't know if you came up with this statement, but you've used it a lot in, in great situations. It's about the X's and O's, or sorry, it's about the Jimmys and Joes, not the X's and O's. Or sometimes it could be flipped. Vice yeah. versa. And Byron absolutely benefited from the Jimmy Jimmy's and Joe's he more did. than the X's and O's without question. And to everything you were saying about, especially the timeline with the, the Pittsburgh game <laughs> and the Carolina game, I don't think Todd <laughs> Bowles would, it's all good. I, I don't think Todd Bowles would be mad if Byron Leftwich didn't reach the quota of running the ball and they scored as long as they won. Yeah, as, yeah, and exactly. they scored 35 exactly. points and won the game. Right. And Adam, I think was the Pittsburgh game was the first time you were on for the live stream, if I'm not I think mistaken. So. Yeah. What was frustrating about that game and the Carolina game and pretty much everything else during the season is when – and we wanted the Bucs to throw it more than they ran it, but they would run it specifically on first down or in that Steelers game. They would run it right at Cam Hayward, <laughs> the only weapon that they had. And it was the selective running that was the issue. Throw it on first down, run it on second down. That's totally fine. That's what we wanted to see more of. But yeah. Byron Leftwich would flip it the other way around, and that's why the Bucs would consistently 
dig themselves into holes. And the issue with Tom Brady going no huddle, that was the one thing that they did well. Right. And Tom will be calling it later. There's that common misconception. You know, everyone compares Tom Brady to Peyton Manning, and they're both yeah. great in their own right. But they're different creatures of habit while both Correct. being extremely hard workers. Yeah. Tom doesn't want to be the Peyton Manning, hey, I want to control everything. I want Correct. to call 17 different plays at the line of scrimmage. He'll call Correct. an audible, obviously, right. but he's not going to do what Peyton Manning wants to do. Right. So to put everything on Tom's shoulders, I don't think is totally fair. Could Tom still play better? Yeah, absolutely. Without a I, doubt. Yeah. I think the overarching theme, Adam, I want to get your point about this. And you heard Orvlosky talk about it. Uh, we, we've mentioned it as well. It's about the process, about how everything went down. It wasn't – the results didn't speak for the process, which wasn't the correct process. You can say, hey, the Bucks won the Super Bowl. Clearly, he was doing something right. Yes, they had talent, and he wasn't atrocious at what he was doing. But when you lose right. some of those players, then you find out, oh, well, the process wasn't what got the Bucs to the Super Bowl and winning the division and winning 13 games. It was the talent. And now when you have to rely on the process, the process wasn't there. And that's where yeah. it kind of fell apart for Byron Leftwich. And I feel like uh, the Bucs just lacked a real, like, true offensive identity. And what they were trying to do with, like, screen passes and runs on first down – it didn't put him in good spots later in the game. And so they would have to ditch the game plan. Uh, as Scott mentioned, they would abandon the run game early on, even in instances where it was working. And later in games, they had to just rely on Brady to throw a record-setting amount of passing attempts because they didn't game plan. I don't feel like Leftwich game planned enough to accommodate his skilled players into the game plan week by week. Yeah, I, I had one source tell me that, that – um that really, you know, each coach scripts like the first 15 plays or so. Right. And and then there should be a game plan, right? And I know Greg Roman's in the news today because he got let go. And and, and I, this this is the most clearest example of a game plan that, that I can I can think of right now. The Ravens decided to attack the Bucks' weekend secondary. They had a lot of injuries, that, that Ravens game. Antoine Pitt, um, Antoine Winfield was out. Some other players were out too. I think one of their corners, maybe Carlton Davis or Jamel Dean. I can't remember which one, but they had a lot of injuries in the secondary. Logan Ryan was out for, the, for that game as well. <clears throat> so they decided to come out and and attack the Bucks' weakness. Right, that was the game plan. The game plan was we're going to have Lamar throw the ball, and they got three points out of it. And Lamar, I think, only ran the ball two times for a handful of yards. And, and, and the Ravens tried, which made sense on paper. We're going to attack their weakness. And the Bucks were up 10-3 at halftime. They completely flipped the script in the second half, and they said, we're going to stop attacking their weakness, and we're going to play to our strength. And the Ravens turned into the Ravens again, which was run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, pass. Run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, pass. And some of those runs was Lamar Jackson, doing Lamar, you know, Lamar Jackson things, right? And so – that that's a game plan. There's two distinct game plans. We're going to attack their weakness with the passing game. And that didn't work. So we're going to make a second half adjustment. And it looked completely different. The Ravens were a completely different team in the second half. And we never saw that, that change that Clark Kent to Superman change at any point in time, whether it was from quarter one to quarter two, from first half to second half, from third quarter to fourth quarter. We didn't see that at all from the Buccaneers. What, what I had a source tell me was, Byron Leftwich is simply calling plays. He's simply looking at the play sheet 
And let's see if this one works. Let's call this one. What about here? And th there's no plan to that. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why so many three and outs happened. And, and the last thing I'll say is this, and I'll turn the show over to you guys. We have, I see we have a lot of super chats to get to. Thank you very much for, you, uh, for all of the support this week. Um, you, you Buck fans, you Peter people are fantastic. We're almost at 10,000 subscribers on YouTube. Please, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and like the videos and the podcast. It really helps us out. But my last point is this. So why didn't Todd Bowles fire Byron Leftwich either after the Ravens game or during the bye week? Because uh, those are the two most logical times. And the answer is he did not see anybody on this offensive coaching staff being remotely capable of taking over. As bad as Byron was, there wasn't anybody else who could call plays any better. And that's an indictment on the staff. And that's why you see the quarterback's coach retired. And if he didn't retire, he would have been fired. That's why you saw the wide receivers coach go. That's why you saw the running backs coach go. Now, what about Harold Goodwin, the run yeah. game coordinator? And what about Joe Gilbert, the offensive line coach? I'll tell you this. I, I don't know. I have zero information whether they're here for good or whether they could be replaced at a later date. I, I don't know. Being completely transparent. Tried to find out, but I don't know. What I will say is this. Typically, the offensive coordinator has to work in lockstep. And that's why you see Harold Goodwin as the offensive line coach, one of them, as the run game coordinator, because the, the offensive coordinator, the play caller, has to work in lockstep with the offensive line. Okay, uh, you can only have you know four wide receivers on the field at, really at, at one time. You can only have at most three tight ends on the field at one time. At the most, you can have two running backs. You only have one quarterback. But you have five offensive linemen. Right? There's more offensive linemen than any other position on the football field at one given time. So uh, the the offensive coordinator hire whoever that is. And, and I'll let you guys get into that. You guys have read the story, and we've got the pictures that we can throw them up. Uh, the offensive coordinator hire may determine whether or not Harold Goodwin and Joe Gilbert end up staying or not, if that offensive coordinator is comfortable enough. Now, that might be a Todd Bowles call, and I might be wrong. I'm being completely transparent. But I wouldn't be surprised if a new offensive coordinator comes in and says, can I bring – these names to the table mm -hmm. for your consideration. So I'm just saying that that's something that, that, that could be coming down the pike. Um, we saw today, Bill O'Brien is, is interviewing yeah, yeah. with, with, uh, with New, New England. England. I've heard Robert Kraft wants him bad up there. And, and, and that's, that's why we at Peter report have not been leading with Bill O'Brien. We've been leading with Todd Munkin uh, for months now about name dropping Todd Munkin's name. Because we we anticipated Bill O'Brien being courted heavily by the Patriots, where he coached before. So, uh, you know that, that's that's a name there. Uh, you know Tom Munkin that was reported with uh, Garofalo and 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 uh, you know uh, there's Clyde Christensen. Yeah. yeah, here's you know here's Todd Munkin. Here he used to be with the Buccaneers. Um, very intense guy. Uh, no nonsense. No bullshit guy. This guy uh, he he is. He will work wonderfully with Todd Bowles. He worked wonderfully with Kirby Smart at Georgia. He understands his role and his place, and he is not a, a usurper. He is a sub, he is a submissive coach to the head coach. Uh, head coach wants to run the ball. You're going to get the run. Head coach wants to be aggressive and take shots. You're going to be aggressive and take shots. 
that's just who you know who he is and he worked really well with dirk i think that he would work really well with todd bowles uh, another name that we mentioned too is is brian johnson the, the quarterbacks coach for the eagles uh there's the connection there with with kyle trask he was kyle trask's offensive <laughs> coordinator and you know and quarterbacks coach at florida i'm not a big fan of hiring somebody because of the quarterback whether that's whether that's necessarily bill o'brien with tom brady right because they work together in new england why because brady's only going to be here for one year probably I, I don't necessarily want the offensive coordinator to be here just because of Brady. I would want this person to want to work with Todd Bowles and, and, you know, develop uh, whoever, you know, is going to be the, the quarterback after Brady, you know, and, and the same thing. I don't know if Kyle Trask is going to be worth a damn in the NFL. Exactly. I don't think we've seen enough to make that assessment. So I wouldn't want them to get Brian Johnson uh, from the Eagles, even though he's done wonders with Jalen Hurts and helping that offense just because of Kyle Trask. I don't think that that would necessarily be the right move. Um, so that's just my two cents there. We'll have plenty more next week as we dive into these coaching changes and the offensive coordinator stuff. So um, th that's all for me. I'm going to turn the show over to you guys and have you guys answer questions. These guys are really dialed in. We, we've been talking on, on the group chat. Mm. We've known this has been coming for a, a long time. And, uh, you know, and we'll we'll see if it ends up being you know Todd Munkin or or whoever. Scott, can't thank you enough for uh, the behind the scenes look and all the insight. Uh, go get some rest to get healthy. We appreciate Scott for uh, being under the weather, and uh, we're gonna get into all the super chats. Have a lot more discussion about this, but we'd be remiss. We know Scott's favorite energy drink, of course, is Celsius Energy Drinks, the official sponsor of the Peter Report podcast. There's a variety of different flavors that Celsius has from the Arctic peach and tropical vibes to the cucumber lime to the strawberry watermelon, original orange, um, strawberry kiwi guava. So a ton of awesome different flavors that Celsius provides. They have seven essential vitamins, zero sugar or preservatives. So you have um, all the energy you need without any of the crash or post-energy drink jitters that you may get with some other uh, other products out there. If you want to have a Celsius energy drink and you haven't had one before, that's totally fine. Just go to the store locator on the Celsius website, punch in your address, and it will let you know where you can find a Celsius at your most local bodega or convenience store or everywhere else in between. And then if you realized how much you love it and you want more, start buying it in bulk. I'd recommend getting the variety pack because variety is the spice of life. Go to Amazon, click on the subscribe and save and have the Celsius energy drink sent to your house or apartment every week, month, quarterly, whenever you want it. Just make sure you're drinking Celsius energy drinks, the official sponsor of the Pewter Report podcast. Hashtag Celsius lip fit. Hashtag Celsius energy. Again, we appreciate Scott for coming on and uh, just, you know, providing a little bit more information. Scott was the one that obviously broke the news. And um, so it's best for him to tell it before hearing it from anybody else now we're going to get into the super chats you guys have been awesome with the super chats you've been very patient uh, i think it was worth the wait though because scott obviously gave a lot of inside information that you're not going to see anywhere else or hear anywhere else um we'll be in the fat five tomorrow so everybody watching the show right now just got a little bit of a sneak peek of what's going to be in the fat five tomorrow let's get back to the super chats teddy thank you for the five dollar super chat if nothing else, today showed the difference between national media and local media. 
local coverage is really important, LOL. Appreciate that, Teddy. Um, very nice of you to say. It is true. I mean, listen, we're there every day. So is the time. So is, um, you know, the athletic work. Greg's now with Fox Sports. But, you know, there are people there every single day. And there are national people that come in. And there's nothing wrong with them coming in. But, you know, they're either at their studio or somewhere else. And for what Scott said earlier, there's 32 teams. They're watching a lot of tape. It's tough to watch directly just the Buccaneers, but it makes me laugh when you see Shannon Sharp going crazy over this, or even Booger McFarland was like, really? Byron Leftwich like did so well the first two years. Now all of a sudden they're going to get rid of him. And it's like, if you watch it week by week, if you watch the tape and you see how plays were developed, how things didn't work and they still continue to run it. You just, you see it more in front of your face uh, so much more often. The last thing I'll say, and Adam, you can uh, comment on, you know, local versus national as well. You know, I, I saw I saw a video. It was some podcast. I forgot the name of it. I'm not trying to diss the podcast at all. They tagged, they tagged Peter Port in it, though. So I watched the video, and they were saying Todd Bowles was telling Byron to do this, and Todd Bowles was telling Byron to do that. Todd definitely gave some direction, as Scott was talking about, with, hey, we need to run the ball more this week or get Mike Evans the ball. But – Todd is a defensive coach. You know, he's not calling the offensive plays. He's not going in saying, hey, we only, you know, we only want to score 22 points today because I think the defense can hold them to 21. Yeah. You know, Todd they, does come from the Bruce Arians coaching tree. He's going to let the coaches coach. And when the coaches weren't doing their job, that's why you saw all the changes that went on today. The only thing I'll, I'll add to you and what you said, uh, you made some great points. With the local media and the national media, like the local media, when we watch the Bucks as media members, you can see every game, just how frustrating it was to watch the offense. And on a national scope, you're maybe watching, I don't know, one, two games a season, and you're kind of judging it off that. Or in Leftwich's case, you're watching the 2020-2021 Bucks because that's mm. what's in your mind. And you're like, oh, they're doing so well. And it's not just on Leftwich, but as you watch this season, the offense just was not functioning like a proper NFL offense and an NFL offense that is more uh, antiquated with the modern NFL, with analytics, with uh, using different concepts besides screen passes and runs up the middle and changing it up. You see Mike McDaniel with the Dolphins yeah. or Kyle Shanahan with the 49ers and all of the assistants that have gone on and done so well with other teams. That's the way the league's trending. And unfortunately, it's not trending with an Aryan style offense anymore. Yeah. And I know Scott and Dan Orlowski said that the, the Aryans offense is archaic and essentially dying. Uh, I'm not exactly going to get to that point and say that I still think there's room for it. It reminds yeah. me of um, to talk about basketball, the triangle offense, the Chicago yeah. bulls ran it with Michael Jordan. This is Phil Jackson's offense. They, they <laughs> And then they ran it, the triangle with Shaq and Kobe and the Lakers. Then Phil Jackson went to the Knicks, and they tried yep. doing it with the Knicks. But at that point, we're talking years later, the defense figured it out by then. Um, there are adjustments that were made to stop the Bruce Arians type of offense. But then it's on the coaches to make the adjustments to, again, one-up the defense. I still think you can do that. The adjustments just weren't made with that style of offense. And there are better offenses right now and trending in the right direction and using motion, and that's the direction the Bucks should go. I'm just saying it's not completely dead. Uh, just and yep. and uh, Scott made the point when talking about the Ravens game, what the Ravens did to game plan. 
And one thing that they did in the second half was they targeted, they threw it a lot to Demarcus Robinson and they targeted Zion McCollum, who was rookie corner, just kind exactly. of getting snaps, meaningful snaps. That's one way that they game planned. The Bucks against the Steelers, a banged up secondary, they didn't target Mike Evans the way they should have. They ran it up the middle. They ran it to the left side when Gedeke was struggling against Cam Hayward. The one game record, like on the Steelers defensive line, when they could have ran it to the right side with Tristan Wirfs. And just so, like to your point, the adjustments weren't there. And it was just so frustrating because as fans, like all the Peter Report watchers, you could see game to game what they needed to do. And they did, they just didn't do it. No, they did not. They did not. I uh, got another $5 super chat from Bucks Basement. Thank you, Bucks Basement. Colin Coward seems to be changing his mind about Brady leaving now. He claims the firing of all the offensive coordinator and assistant coaches is a sign to Brady. Well, obviously, the Bucks want Tom Brady back. I don't think they fired everybody just so, hey, Tom, will you return for one more year? Again, Todd Bowles has to think big picture. I need an mm -hmm. offensive coordinator that is going to be here for more than one season and isn't just coming in because Tom Brady uh, is the quarterback next season. Because Brady's up playing, what, maybe two years more at most, but probably just one season. Just for the record, again, for everybody, um, Byron Leftwich was fired today. Other assistant coaches that were fired were running backs coach Todd McNair, wide receivers coach Kevin Garver, uh, assistant defensive line coach Lori Locust. That was probably the most surprising out yeah. of all of them. Um, specialist coach Chris Bonial, offensive quality control coach uh, Jeff Castle, and then three coaches also retired. That was quarterbacks coach Clyde Christensen, um, outside linebacker coach Bob Sanders, who just joined the team this season, and then offensive assistant Rick Christoffel. So a lot of different changes going on uh, right there. We got a lot of super chats to get to, so uh, trying to get through all of them. Adam, look like you had something to say? Um, I was just going to get your yeah. insight. So we, we, we can talk enough about the offensive coaching changes. Do you think that the Bucks go with two off or two defensive coordinators again, Laurie Foote and Casey Rogers? Do you think that that side of the ball is pretty much intact as far as besides Lori uh, Locust and uh, Bob Sanders? Yeah, well, they're they're going to need a new outside linebackers coach. Unless it's very interesting because Larry Foote was the outside linebacker coach, and then they moved him to inside linebacker coach and co-defensive coordinator, which was his natural position where he played. Yeah. in the NFL. So I don't think they're going to have him coach both inside and outside linebacker. I think they'll stay with the, the code defensive coordinator route. If both coaches are still there, because mm -hmm. are you really going to say, Oh, Larry foot did a better job than Casey Rogers or, or vice versa. I think the Lori locust firing is a bit surprising. I mean, sure. You can look at the fact that, you know, the bucks run game stopping the run uh, it, it dropped a, a lot worse. I mean, last year they were allowing 92.5 rushing yards per game. This year it jumped all the way up to 120 rushing yards per game. But if you look at like the overall total yards, um, last year was 324. This year was 335. So, I mean, we're talking about, what, 11 more yards. The points per game went up by a point. Oh, yeah. An increase, but I don't think a significant one enough to be like, hey, there's a huge issue here. The running, stopping the run was a big thing. But again, Vita Vea was hurt for multiple games. Akeem Hicks missed a lot of time. I don't think Logan Hall, uh, obviously he's not fully developed as an NFL player just yet. But I think Logan Hall left a little bit more to be desired. Just yeah. seemed odd if Lori Locus is going to go. Why not 
both of the defensive coordinators or, or defensive line coaches. So I, I, I think they'll remain intact. Cannon Fire Podcast, appreciate the $5 Super Chat. Any insight on the disconnect between Brady and Mike Evans this season? Awesome seeing Peter Report on McAfee. Yeah, that was great. Uh, loved watching Scott on the Pat McAfee show. A lot of fun. Uh, if you missed it, we did a best of clip. It's on our YouTube channel. You can you can check it out now. Any insight on Brady and Evans? I don't have too much insight on what was going wrong with them. I think they kind of figured it out towards the end of the season. Yeah. Obviously, Bucks Panthers, the big game for Evans there. If you want to look at the playoff game, sure, there was the miscommunication when they were trying to get into field goal range at the end of the half. But then Brady hit Mike Evans on that deep ball after they recovered the onside kick. Mike Evans just dropped it. And, yeah. you know, Evans still had 75 receiving yards in that game, was doing much better down the stretch. And even when they were going through their toughest of times, even Mike Evans said, it's my fault. A lot of this is on me. So I don't know if there's exactly a lot of disconnect. Again, these guys teamed up to break the passing touchdown record for Tom and the receiving touchdown record for Mike. I don't think all of their chemistry is completely lost. I think you have to chalk it up to just a bad season and you bring in a new coordinator. If Tom is back, I, I'm willing to bet Mike Evans is going to get a lot more opportunities than he got this season. Uh, with with Byron Leftwich as the head coach, yeah, uh, I wouldn't say it was really like an issue between one more than the other or them being on the same page, but it all just came down to execution. Uh, Bulls yeah. loves that word execution, but they didn't. They just didn't execute on the deep balls, and it was just like bad circumstances. I would argue that maybe like the offensive line not giving Brady enough time to be in the pocket and to make these deeper throws more accurately could be an issue. Mm -hmm. But between Brady and Evans, I don't think there was too much like chemistry issues or anything of that nature. One question I have for you is Clyde Christensen retiring as a quarterback's coach. Do you think that has an effect on Brady not wanting to come back or what, like why he wasn't the offensive coordinator if they were to fire Leftwich? Well, I think Tom's had discussions with Todd Bowles, and I think Tom knows that Todd didn't totally trust any of the other coaches to call the plays, and that's why, you know, Byron Leftwich still had his job for the rest of the season. Tom's worked with a number of different coaches. Obviously, Clyde Christensen, is a, he's a nice guy. He's a good guy to be around. He's very upbeat and positive if, if you ever get to talk to him. I, I don't think that's a total deciding factor. I think Tom likes working with Clyde Christensen, but I, I don't think it's a uh, an absolute deal breaker that Clyde Christensen isn't going to be back. It's a good question, though. We're going to get to more Super Chats, but first we're going to hear a message from Age Rejuvenation. As we age, our hormones decrease, both for men and women. I was tired all the time, had no sex drive. I was groggy. I felt like I was 80 years old because everything hurt. I came to Age Rejuvenation because... I was tired all the time. Bioidentical hormones has really made such an impact in people's lives. I actually enjoy shopping now. Got my, all my energy back. Mind is sharp. I feel like I'm 18 again. It was perfect for me. Get with Age Rejuvenation. Do it now. Don't wait. Call Age Rejuvenation today. Feel better. Have better sex using Age Rejuvenation. 
You see John Gilmore on the screen there. He's part of the Peter Tailgate show. He speaks very highly of it. He's not just a spokesman. He's a client as well. It looks like he can still play. Scott Reynolds has talked very highly of it, how he's lost weight, how he has more energy, how he's, you know, not taking those midday naps. And, you know, it's helped both of them a ton. They have testosterone therapy, peptide therapy, stem cell therapy, and even more. And so go to Age Rejuvenation today, agerejuvenation.com, and start feeling better and check out how it can help you. So that's Age Rejuvenation. Got a super chat from Steve Masella. Thank you, Steve, for the 279 Canadian super chat. Any chance Devin White is traded? Where is Miller? I assume he's meaning Scotty Miller. I think there's a very, 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 very small chance that Devin White is traded. I, I Obviously, there's a big question about should he get the big second contract, and that's going to be something we'll debate all offseason training camp going into this year because it's the last year on Devin White's rookie deal, whether or not he deserves it. But also, the Bucs are razor, razor thin at inside linebacker. Let's remember, Levante David is a um, Levante David's a free agent. There's no guarantee he's going to be back. There's no guarantee he's going to keep playing. He's been in the league 11 years. He could absolutely retire. So on the roster right now, you have Devin White, who's had his ups and downs. But I think he, you know, definitely contract year prepped for a bounce back season or a better season than this year. You have K.J. Britt, who I think we saw in the Week 18 game, Adam, uh, is better suited for special teams than yeah. to be a legit inside linebacker. And then J.J. Russell, who they released to bring back Ryan Jensen, and they signed him to a futures contract. So they're going to be looking for veteran help or um, really anyone that can play inside linebacker next to Devin White if Levante David isn't there. Uh, Scotty Miller, where is he? He's technically a free agent now. Um, he obviously wasn't really utilized too much in the offense. He's got great speed, can go down the field. Didn't really show too much else, though. And so I don't know if Scotty Miller's going to be back. Just to add to your point about, like, Devin White, when you talk about the Bucks defense, like, I was looking over the free agent list, and you have eight, possibly nine, star- at one point, were starters on this defense this <laughs> season, all reaching free agency. And when you look at, like, the corners on, or, like, cornerstones on defense, you really just have Winfield, uh, Carlton Davis and Vita Vea. And those are like the only uh, guys really locked up for the foreseeable future. They'll have to extend uh, Winfield sooner rather than later. But Devin White, this is really like a prove it deal because with the cap rising, he, he'll get a big contract. Will it be with the box sets? That's another question. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Marquise Davis, thank you for the $10 super chat. He's asking Scott. Uh, Scott has left the show, but we will be happy to answer for it. Uh, should Tom Brady be Peyton and just take over? Talking about Peyton Manning. Isn't that why he left New England to have more input in the game plan? And isn't that why Brady and Bruce clashed? Um, I think it's kind of more of the opposite. I And I, I think why it gets so misconstrued of why Tom doesn't want to control everything Tom likes to control more of the personnel, who yeah. he is throwing the ball to, who he is handing the ball off to. And that's why Leonard Fournette got in here. That's why he made the call to Russell Gage to try to sign him to the Bucs after Tom came out of retirement. Tom liked the structure in New England. He liked that the coaches are going to coach and the players are going to execute the plays 
that are called. And then if it gets to two, the two-minute warning, the two-minute drill, and Tom has to take over, then he will. He didn't want to have to do all the scouting for the offensive line or, you know, the running backs. Peyton likes looking at every single detail. And that's not to say that Tom is unprepared. He's clearly very prepared, but he goes at it a, a very different way. So I think he was actually more surprised when he came to Tampa and saw how hands-off Bruce Arians is. I don't really buy that Tom tried to get Bruce out of town because Bruce is still in the organization. Yeah. He's at practice all the time. Adam, you've take, yeah, you've taken pictures of Bruce um, on the golf cart. If he really despised the guy that much, again, the Bucks pretty much let Tom sign who he wanted to sign. That's why Antonio Brown was on this team. They let Tom leave for 10 days when he wanted to do that. If Tom really felt, I don't want Bruce in the area, then Bruce wasn't going to be there. Um, and I, yeah, I was go. just going to say, especially in like year 24 of his career, like if, if he decides to come back next season, he's not going to be wanting to take over when he's 46 years old. And yeah, as a yeah. quarterback under center, he's going to want more delegation and to have the offensive coordinator really take the lead and him just going on the field and late, late game comebacks. Maybe he calls the plays, but just kind of letting the offense flow. Right. And to the last part about New England, you know, Tom, New England likes to do a thing where they get rid of a veteran maybe a year or two before they, you know, really, really decline. I think Tom finally wanted the big payday that he always he always took less money so they could really help the team around him. And the Patriots weren't going to pay him a lot more money. And I think he wanted that. And then again, the personnel. The Patriots had no wide receivers, especially when Julian Edelman was gone at that point. I mean, you go to Tampa, you had Mike and Chris, and obviously it worked out for him. So I think that was more of the reason why he left New England. I know Marquise had another super chat as well. I think it had to do with the Colin Cowherd stuff again. Yeah, Marquise, thank you for the $5 super chat. Also, heard Colin Cowherd today. The lack of details by the coaches drove Brady crazy. Is that true as well? Again, that kind of goes into the structure. He likes having the structure. If there wasn't as much, I think that's why a lot of the coaches were questioning each other, and that's why there was a lot of a lack of trust and why Todd Bowles didn't want anyone else in there. We had one more super chat to get to. Then I want to get back to the offensive coordinator discussion. Yeah. But if you super chat us, we are going to answer your super chat, and that's why I'm going down the list. We have a ton of comments. Appreciate everybody. Can't get to every single one. You super chat us, you do get, uh, you know, first priority, but appreciate everybody. We love all the pewter people. Douglas Wise with the $10 super chat. Thank you, Douglas. I love Lenny, but I feel like Rashad White would have helped their run game more this season. If the Bucks simply stuck with him more during games and allowed him to get into the rhythm, is that true? I absolutely think that's true, Douglas. Let's remember, and we said this before, so I apologize if, if it's, you know, me just repeating myself, but we didn't see Rashad White become the Rashad White that we enjoy watching and who is beneficial to this team until the Germany game. Before that, it was all Leonard Fournette. And some of that, you know, rookie finding his footing in the league, getting it together. Rashad White is quicker. He's more electric. He's more dynamic. He's better at breaking tackles. And he has better vision than Leonard Fournette right now. And I like Leonard Fournette, you know. I think he's a very capable blocker. He's physical. He's needed on a team. He's still very useful for the Buccaneers. But I think it's clear Rashad White is, without question, the running back of the future for the Bucs. And he brings some elements 
to Tampa Bay that Leonard Fournette just doesn't. Most notably, quickness and elusiveness. And that's not really, I'm not trying to knock Lenny, and Lenny is a Brady guy, but Rashad White should be running back number one. If you want to split the carries, go 50-50 on the rushing attempts, fine. I'm okay with that. But it can't be the huge disparagement that we saw a lot this season. And I was going to bring this up when we were starting to talk about offensive coordinators. So with the Bucks' salary cap situation being the way that it is, they'll have to make some tough decisions. If that's moving on from Leonard Fournette and giving Rashad White more of a featured role as running back one next year, one thing I would like the Bucs to do is if they hire Todd Monken as offensive coordinator to bring in Kenny McIntosh from Georgia, uh, his running back right now. Yeah. He's going to be the guy at, at, a, at the senior bowl uh, coming up here less than two weeks. And it'll be interesting to see maybe talking with him if like the Bucs try to contact him, if Monken is the offensive coordinator and maybe just putting him as like a second running back. That was kind of an idea I had. No, absolutely. I think the Bucks should absolutely not rule out uh, bringing in uh, another running back. I think Keyshawn Vaughn at this point, you kind of know what you're going to get with him. Yeah. I think Leonard Fournette will be back if Tom Brady is back. But if Tom Brady is not back and you're looking at some cap casualties <clears throat> and things of that nature, I think Leonard Fournette, unfortunately, we love playoff Lenny, but it's kind of the nature of the business. I think he's kind of a top candidate to get let go from this team. We heard your dog barking uh, in the background. It's a perfect segue to underdog fantasy yeah. that we can talk about. And I know the football season is dwindling down, but you could still use underdog fantasy and bet on players in uh, the NBA. I know you got Celtics uh, Warriors right now, rematch from the NBA Finals. So that's a very exciting one. You could do the NBA, the NHL, baseball when the MLB comes back, um, golf and the UFC as well. So a ton of other options. And you, of course, have a great playoff NFL weekend coming up on Saturday and Sunday. And underdog is the easiest way to get some action on the NFL with their pick them and rivals games. You just pick an over or under on your favorite or least favorite player stats. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy to use website and mobile apps. You pick between two and five players to fill out your pick them slip, get every pick right and take home some cold, hard cash. Use the promo code pewter. Get your first deposit doubled up to $100 by Underdog. Even if you learned from Plant City Math, you know that that is a heck of a deal. Double your first deposit up to $100 with Underdog Fantasy. Start making those picks. I'm going to make some picks over the weekend. Let's get right back into it with some more Super Chats. Michelle asking about Lori Locus. Were you surprised they got rid of Coach Lowe? We talked about this before. I'm very, very surprised. I mean... She's been praised for a great job that she's been doing. Um, I hope she finds a job somewhere else and can even get elevated to a defensive line coach. That was definitely, Adam, I think the most surprising uh, coaching move out of, out of all of them. I, I mean, I expected all the offensive like coaching changes that went on. But, yeah, to your point, like she was up and coming, and she has a promising coaching career, and she'll definitely find footing in the league if she wants to continue. Yes, she will, and I hope so. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's talk about the offensive coordinator. Um, obviously, we had a story today come out about some of the, the candidates. I know, Adam, you've kind of talked about a couple of offensive coordinator candidates that the Bucs should, should definitely consider. I think the big three, of course, are Todd Munkin, who we talked about a lot, 
Bill O'Brien, who we talked about a lot. Frank Reich, I think, is in the discussion without question. I think he kind of got a raw deal with the Colts. Yeah. Um, whatchamacallit? Uh, Scott was talking about uh, – who was he talking about? The uh, Eagles quarterback coach. And then I think another one to consider, I know he just got let go, but Greg Roman, the Ravens former offensive coordinator, he just got let go by the Ravens. Um, He's a guy that wants to run the ball. He's a guy that can be creative. I think naturally you have to be creative when you have Lamar Jackson as your uh, your quarterback, not that they're going to run an option with Tom Brady, but (laughs) – I don't know. I think those guys are some of the top candidates for looking into this, uh, you know, this offensive coordinator search. But the other thing that we have to keep in mind, Bucks aren't the only team looking for an offensive coordinator. There's a lot of teams right now that are looking for a guy. And I think what direction the Bucks might go in if Brady does not come back is maybe pairing a quarterback from one of those teams where they bring in an assistant coach like a quarterback offensive coordinator pairing, whether that's Brian, Brian Johnson of the Eagles, maybe bringing in like Gardner Minshew with uh, Geno Smith. If he's a free agent, Uh, he has a connection with Todd Bowles. Uh, There was a couple other teams as well, but Oh, uh, Jacoby Brissett and Frank Reich, maybe just that quarterback offensive coordinator pairing and maybe challenging Trask for that starting role next year. If Tom Brady doesn't come back, I think that's one direction they could go. But to your point, having so many offensive coordinator openings, they might not get one of the big fish. So they might have to be creative with how they they game plan for next year and, and the years following. Yeah, that's very true. And I, I like the idea that you just came up with. And obviously you're talking about kind of in a world that the Bucks eventually will have to experience where Tom Brady is not their quarterback. And Matthew, with the $5 Super Chat, is kind of on the same route with you. Thank you, Matthew, for the super chat. He says, let Brady go. People are using phones, not desktop desktop computers. Statue QBs are done. Impossible to get healthy offensive line through a season and affordable. I think it's a really fair point. Mm-hmm. Um, you're seeing, I mean, even like Aaron Rodgers, for example, is quite mobile. And he extends plays a lot where he's still going to throw it, but he's able to run out of the pocket get open. I'm yeah. going to say this kind of similar to the Arians offense. I think we're definitely seeing a decline and adjustment with a lot more mobile quarterbacks. You got to find the right balance though, because yeah. you see someone like Lamar Jackson, who's thrilling and exciting, but he gets hurt a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And even like Josh Allen, who everyone loves, yeah, he takes so many hits when he could just slide or go out of bounds. And you don't necessarily want the type of quarterback. I mean, obviously the, the, the Bears have a decision to make with Justin Fields, who strictly right now is much more of a runner than he is a passer. And it's fun when you get that scrambling quarterback. Everyone loves Michael Vick, where you can, well, um, some people don't because of what he did off the field. And I understand that. But just um, the longevity of those kind of quarterbacks. In exactly. a league where, like Archie Robert Green. Griffin the third. Yep. He lasted, exactly. what, a year? He had one good year. And people were like, oh, he might outdo Andrew Luck. But mm-hmm. just. Athletic quarterbacks, there's so much more risk with that. And just yeah. you don't have to be an athletic quarterback, but be a mobile quarterback. I think there's a difference between the two. A and- million percent. I think Andrew Luck is a perfect example. He yeah. was predominantly a passer, but he could run around. 
he could rush 15 yards if, you know, no one was around him and everyone was down the field. But he didn't rely on that. I think a lot of quarterbacks now, they rely on it too much. Brady, he's 45 years old. He's not going to be able to move around in the pocket too much. That's just naturally the case when you when you get older. Um, and that's why he got rid of the ball so much quicker. And I think that's why you saw some of the drop in how the Bucks were efficient on offense. So I think if you come in with a new coordinator and you adjust not going all the way down the field, kind of get back to, all right, a seven-yard pass, but with the yak, you get 15, 20 yards up the field. I think Brady can still be very efficient. Yeah. You can't have a guy that just can't move at all. And Brady's getting to that point. He's not there just yet. But I like this point that Matthew brought up for sure. For sure. Uh, why don't we get into a message from our friends over the hey you know what we'll wait for that um let's get to a couple other super chats and appreciate everybody that's with us jay Ogg's channel thank you for the 499 super chat says can we discuss light if leftwich gets the blame for this season despite the super bowl shouldn't light as well the drafts and free agent have been bad since the Super Bowl. It's funny. On yesterday's show, we actually yeah. went through the history of Jason Light's picks since 2018. And one of the things we said on the show is that you can't really make a ruling on a draft class until at least three seasons in, in, into, into the league. I, I think that's the only way to go about it. If you're looking at the 2021 draft class right now, you know, you started off with Joe Tryon showing a, and some people want to say he's a bust. I think we have to remember he's more of a second-round pick. I don't think he's met expectations, but I think expectations were kind of high for him yeah. in the first place. Uh, oh, I got my YouTube up as well. Uh, what would you make of Jason Light's draft history uh, in recent years? I would say his draft history is really strong, but his free agency, uh, I think this season, it was a little underwhelming. I, I think yeah. you can agree with that. A lot of the veterans that they brought in, it wasn't like 2020 where they brought in Leonard Fournette, Antonio Brown, Gronkowski. The class was really weak. It was Kyle Rudolph, Keanu Neal, uh, Julio Jones, and a couple other guys. They didn't really perform to expectations. So in that regard, you have a point to be made there. But in the draft classes, it does take a lot of time to like truly evaluate the prospects that come into the league, especially in year two after their rookie season, watching film, kind of understanding what went wrong and what could go right in the future. You look at the 2019 draft class was really strong for the box. The 2020 draft class, you got two franchise players. So he has a track record. He he's been able to bring in free agents in years past to get the box over, over the hump and to put them in contention. So I want to really put a lot of blame on what Jason light has done to construct the roster and what he does. And John Spitek, uh, the assistant GM, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Look at a lot of the player personnel. Mm -hmm. I think they have a, quite a task ahead with like the salary cap and the way that they've been able to navigate that the past couple of seasons. I think they've done a great job. But yeah, I think the free agency it's it's one of those things like with the draft, you're not going to hit on every single draft pick that you make. But free agency, I mean, I think you have to give Jason Light the credit for. Remember, he found in his front office found Shaq Barrett. Who was yeah. just a backup on the Broncos and then turned like into four million. Yeah, exactly. And then he started. had 19 and a half sacks and then you know became a leader on this team, their best pass rusher. I think he should get the credit for signing and convincing Tom Brady. 
You know, yeah. <laughs> like someone had to do it. And then because you got Brady, that's how you were able to get Gronk, obviously, mm-hmm. and Antonio Brown, Leonard Fournette. But I don't think Jason Light should be, you know, docked for that by yeah. any means. So if you want to give him criticism, this year was tough. They took a lot mm-hmm. of gambles. They took a lot of risks with the the guys on one-year deals, as you mentioned them. So we don't have and to they didn't have a lot of salary cap space to really make a big move. So it was just like bringing Kyle Rudolph for like one year, three right. million, and, stuff and like also, that. let's remember – when the Bucks won in 2020, they had a very, very tough task in front of them, like they do this year, of re-signing a lot of guys that were impending free agents. And they essentially re-signed everyone. Yep. So they deserve a huge amount of credit for those signings. So I understand it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type of league, but I don't know. I, I'm willing to trust Jason Light to have a better free agent class this year, even with the amount of, you know, salary cap strap that they have going into this one and then Mm -hmm. to just to look at the 2021 draft class because we talked about it we talked about a lot of it yesterday i guess we'll start with the 2020 because you know they're going into their their third year um or fourth year technically but you had worfs and winfield those are like the two best picks you could possibly have vaughn johnson um khalil davis chappelle russell raymond clay so again, very top heavy. Yeah. Um. You know, and then 2021, we talked a lot about JTS. We know how everyone feels about Kyle Trask. You got Hainsey in the third round. I mean, that's looking that's like it's going value. to be a, a solid pick right there. Jalen Darden, obviously no longer with the team. KJ Britt, okay at special teams, but again, he's a fifth round pick. I don't know. You're not <laughs> drafting all of your fifth round picks, expecting them to be the starting inside linebacker. Then you had Chris Wilcox didn't make the team. And Grant Stewart was a special teams ace, but, you know, they, they ended up trading him. So, and again, the jury's out on, on this year. There's still a long way to go with Logan Hall, Luke Etteke, you know, But they Martis got a lot of later round value in uh, White, Otten, and Yeah, Marta. exactly, exactly. And even Keith. It's, it's like, I don't know what you're expecting, but they've had, like, solid picks there. Yeah, they, abs- they absolutely have, you know, so... It's going to be up and down with every single one. I, I don't want to knock Jason Light too much for not having a stellar year where he's had some stellar years, like without mm-hmm. question. You know, um, another thing that is stellar, if you could bowl a 300, that's very difficult to do. But if you were going to bowl 300 or at least take the chance at it, the best place to go to is uh, Pin Chasers. There's multiple locations as you can see on the screen. So a lot of different places you can go to try to pull that 300 while you're there. The food is absolutely fantastic. It's very underrated from the pizza to the chicken tendies to the nachos. Um, you also have brunch on the weekends, which is uh, pretty cool. It's a fun night out with friends and family. Uh, if you want to book your kid's birthday party there, they also have an arcade area. So the kids can play video games and bowl uh, for the parents and the adults. They have a bar with a full top shelf liquor, uh, beer, wine, um, all the alcohol you want there, please drink responsibly. And, of course, they have different deals every single night from the all-you-can-eat pizza to the all-you-can-bowl, dollar beers. So great deals, fun night out with friends and family. Go to pinchasers.net and find out what deal is best for you. Um, what else are we missing? We've covered a lot tonight. Just wanted to make sure I didn't miss any more uh, Super Chats Appreciate everybody that gave us some super chats. You guys have been awesome. So many people in the comments tonight. Uh, appreciate you guys watching PeterReport.com, reading our stuff uh, on our on our website. 
Um, it's truly great. One of the last things that I guess we should talk about real quick is obviously coaches are going to be coming to the team, not just offensive coordinator, but now they need a wide receivers coach and, and a running backs coach. And so there's a couple of coaches that Todd Bowles has worked with before, back when he was the Jets head coach. And uh, some of those guys, running back coach Stump Mitchell yeah, and wide receivers coach Carl Durrell could be some guys that end up coming to the Bucks. Not 100% guaranteed, but, you know, definitely could happen. I know Durrell was coaching Colorado, um, but the team obviously wasn't too successful. Now Deion Sanders is their coach. He's their wide receivers coach. Um, obviously, he was there when they had um, – who was it? Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker, so he knows how to coach talent, which I think is important. Stump Mitchell has worked with Nick Chubb with the Cleveland Browns. He's had a couple thousand yard rushers as well. So some He's guys a really that cool guy. I've seen him on like NFL films. They had something this year wow, with the Browns running backs. Yeah. He would be an offensive coordinator hire, I think, like just elevating his role a little bit because I think he does like some uh running game coordinating with the Browns. But that would be if the Bucs went in the direction of basing their offense more on the run than the pass. Right. And again, that would have to depend on who the, the coordinator is, unless he chose one of them to be uh, the coordinator. Yeah. But yeah, it's going to be one step at a time. We're going to have a lot of news over the next couple of days, the next couple of weeks, really, until the Bucks come up with that decision. Uh, we're still going to have a ton of content over at pewterreport.com and on Pewter Report TV. So please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, another thing you should, should subscribe to, I'm saying a lot of S's there, is uh, having a good time in Tampa Bay. And one of those ways you can have a good time in Tampa is by going to the Seminole Hard Rock Casino in Tampa, Florida. Just the way you like it. Me and my wife decided we'll have some fun. I was playing a two-cent machine. Six bets in, I hit a jackpot. $117,000. Hi, my name is Tara, and I want over $500,000 playing fly. I do this full-time, and I would not change it for the world. I'm Gloria. I won over $2 million at Seminole Hard Rock Casino. I went and bought a bunch of jewelry. <laughs> my name is Mike, and I won over $350,000. I love playing back rock because it hits different. When you pull in that car and you flip over that nine, beating that eight, can't miss. I'm Jimmy. I won a half million dollars in a slot tournament at Seminole Hard Rock in Tampa. Even a blind squirrel can get a nut sometimes. <laughs> my name is Philip, and I won 215000 on Blazing Sevens. Put my last $4 on the table, next thing you know, bam, 215000 jackpot. I hit that bad boy. I didn't realize how much it would change my life. You only live once. Have fun with it, right? Anybody can win. It's Seminole Hard Rock in Tampa. You never know when you can win big, so check out the Seminole Hard Rock Casino in Tampa. And, guys, I know, obviously, the news right now is the the head coach – or, sorry, the offensive coordinator coaching changes and the assistant coaching changes. We're still going to come out with a lot of content about that. But also remember, it's the offseason now for the Bucs. Players are going to come and go, and it also means it's closer to draft season, and Pewter Report will be at the Senior Bowl once again. But you got a packed house going. Adam, you're going – as well so very excited about that and of course we don't know what's going on with tom brady so the bucks could be in the market for a quarterback this season well they will be in the, in the market for a quarterback just whether or not it's going to be tom brady or someone else so i see a lot of people in the chats talking about kyle trask a lot of people unhappy with geno smith 
But I want to end on a positive note. And this is someone that's been in the chats a lot, especially our game day stream. So I appreciate them always uh, conversing here in the chats. And that's unreasonable things. <laughs> unreasonable things usually says a lot of things that are quite unreasonable and usually typically very negative. But this thing that unreasonable things just said is very, very reasonable. Very, very true. So I'm going to put it up on the screen right now. Unreasonable things says Scott is the man. He that is. is absolutely true. Gave a lot of great insight on today's show. Uh, so I wanted to leave that up there as we depart on today's show. One last time, if you're not already doing so, please subscribe to Peter Report TV and our various uh, social medias as well, which is at Peter Report. We're very close to 10,000 subscribers. We're less than 100 away. So would really love if you guys could hit the like button and subscribe. It's absolutely free. It just lets you know when we put out new content. We've had a lot of great content this week with uh, putting videos up. Uh, we put a lot of videos on our Instagram as well. We're going to continue to do that. Uh, all going to be focused on the Bucks. obviously some of the draft as well. So would really appreciate it if you guys could follow us and subscribe uh, on our uh, YouTube channel, which is Peter Report TV. All right, it's been a very busy day. We love everyone that has been a part of the show today and always. Um, we're going to have another show starting next week, and who knows what more news will come out by then. So for Adam, I'm Matt saying thank you, everybody, for watching and listening, and we will see you next week for another edition of the Pewter Report podcast. Out. <laughs>